you have your Bibles tonight and you would find Matthew, the 22nd chapter, as we are continuing to go uh, verse by verse through the Word of God. And as always, I want to thank you for being here tonight, uh, Memorial Day weekend on a Sunday evening. Uh, and tonight I want to talk to you about the greatest celebration. Uh, I um, have been in a lot of gatherings in my life. Uh, some have been very exciting. Some of them have been very boring. And as the little girl that fell asleep in the sermon this morning made it aware that that would have been considered boring. But uh, uh, when you think about a wedding festival, as Baptists, we don't really know what to think, right? We, we want to honor a wedding. We want to celebrate a wedding. Uh, we want to celebrate the reception at a wedding. But it seems like uh, most wedding receptions have been polluted with uh, drunkenness and other things like that. But a wedding uh, celebration is usually a time when it's to bring great joy. As you and I celebrate with a family who has uh, followed what the Lord has wanted for them, uh, it's usually a time when you dress up. It's usually a time when the people you love the most are around you, and it is a time of great celebration. And so when we come to Matthew chapter 22, Jesus begins teaching a parable about a wedding feast. And if you remember, we're looking through chapter 21, and Jesus was talking to the Jewish people, saying that God had a purpose and a plan for you, and that you should be the ones to know who I am, Jesus speaking to them. And you should be the ones that know who I am and what I'm doing. But yet you have rejected me. And he gives them these heartbreaking parables of the wicked vine dresser and the parable of the two sons. And we saw how how this Jewish people were going to lose this blessing that God had given them for a season. Now, if you remember back in the book of Isaiah, in the book of different Old Testament books, the Bible said that God's house would be a house of prayer for his people. But in Isaiah, it says literally 56, that not only should his house be a house of prayer for his people, but for all nations. And Jesus quotes that when he overturns the table in the temple and says, my house should be called a house of prayer. That is a direct quote from Isaiah. So the Jewish people were always to be God's people and to love him and to live for him and to celebrate him so that a lost and dying world around them would see the goodness of God. You can look in the book of Leviticus and that's why the Old Testament, it said not to be tattooed and marked because when you had nothing, in that day and age, in the Old Testament, they would put the sun god or the moon god or the cow god or whatever all over their body. And God tells his people, don't have any of that. And so when they walk up to you, they're going to look for what god you serve. Who, who do you worship? And you can tell them, I worship the one true God. I worship the God who does not live in a house man by, made by hands. I serve the one true God. That was always the Jewish people's purpose. And so and what we see here in this chapter is the Jewish people losing that privilege for a season and that privilege being given to the church. It is now the church's mission to take the gospel into the whole world. It's the church's mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the end of the earth. But there will come a day when the Jewish people's eyes will be opened and God will work and move through the Jewish people in the last days. And so what we're seeing here is a great celebration for us. Gentiles, God's people, but yet a heartbreaking moment for the Jewish nation. And so I want you to 
If you would, stand with me. I want to read a verse from the book of Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 9, talking about this great wedding feast that we are going to be able to be a part of. In 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 9, the Bible says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. No matter what you read about heaven, no matter what you dream about heaven, no matter what our small minds comprehend about heaven, it is nothing compared to what God really has in store. And so we should be thankful for that. And so tonight, if you would pray with me, and we will go through the text. Father, tonight I thank you for who you are. And God, we live in a world of sin and brokenness and pain and heartache. But God, I'm thankful there is coming a day when you will make all things right. Father, I am thankful for the promises of your word that you have created a place for those that love you. And the Lord, that one of these days we will be with you forever. Tonight, Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach your word in clarity and in truth. Lord, in humility. And God, that you would be glorified in all that is said and done tonight. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes tonight, and I hope that you will, uh, I want to show you a couple things tonight about this parable. A parable is a, is a realistic story that has a heavenly meaning. And so we see that in the fig tree. We've seen that in the wine dressers or vine dressers. A earthly, relatable story with a heavenly teaching. And the first thing I want to show you tonight is the father will honor the son. The Father will honor the Son. So many times we think that heaven was created just for us. But it wasn't. Heaven was created to magnify Jesus. A place where He could be worshipped forever. Not just by the angels, but by His chosen people. And so by being a part of the family of God, we are going to worship with Him forever. The, the benefit of that for us is that we will get to enjoy heaven forever. But the purpose of heaven is not for you to fish. It's not for you to take a stroll through heaven with your loved one. The purpose of heaven is a continuous, magnificent celebration of Jesus Christ. Forever and ever and ever. And are you going to be able to do other things in heaven? I'm sure. I don't understand it. I'm not worried about it. I'm just glad I'm going. All right? I'm glad that there will be no use for me to preach in heaven. Right? That, that's just not, that's not going to be something I'm going to have to do in heaven. And so I am, uh, as the old song says, I'm looking forward to sitting down and resting a little while. But yet when we talk about heaven, our minds and our thoughts are so, uh, so overwhelmed. And so Jesus begins to talk about this in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cow, cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. And so, as most of you know, uh, weddings are special. But if it is your child getting married, especially to someone that you want them to get married to, it is a time of great celebration. Now, if they're marrying someone you don't want them to, you could take that up with the Lord some other time. That's, that's above my pay grade. But it is a time of celebration. And what he's saying here is that the father is honoring the son. 
through this wedding ceremony. It is going to be one of those special events in the life of a family. Because if you're familiar with this day and time, a son inherited everything. And the son marrying would have given this father the potential for offspring. And so if you've read about King David, the Bible says that he was increasing in children and in offspring and increasing his uh, influence. And so this is a celebration. It is a most magnificent time and something has happened. The guests that were invited have decided they do not want to come. They do not want to be a part of this celebration. And if you look there, he invites them two times. You see, in Jewish culture, you would have been invited once. And then you would have thought about it for a while. You would have found out, well, who else is going? It's kind of like these uh, liberal Hollywood stars that show up for these award ceremonies and they take pictures of them and they, they flaunt all over them. Oh, so-and-so's here and so-and-so's here. And, and if so-and-so's not going to be here, then, then I'm not going to be there. And so it gave the, the recipient time to decide whether or not they should go whether or not they should be a part of this celebration, if it was below them socially. And so the second invitation is to tell them, I've invited you, I have prepared a place for you, and now that place is prepared. Everything is ready for you to come and to celebrate with me. But yet we see here that everything is necessary, that has been necessary for them to enjoy the wedding, is done. Most wedding receptions aren't BYOF. Bring your own food. Right? There's usually food there. When you're invited to a wedding reception, it's not, hey, bring your cooler and some lunch meat if you don't care. Right? It's not, hey, bring... Well, sometimes it's bring your own drinks, but that is a whole other topic for... But right, there's usually punch, and there's usually tea, and there's food. And so you come, and you celebrate, and you feast, and you enjoy. And what I am finding out is that uh, uh, apparently the bride's father pays for most of it. And so uh, that is a terrible thought for me to think about. Um, but maybe they will all uh, be none. So I don't know. But anyway... Uh, but there is this idea, right? The father is at a great expense. And the father has went to a great effort to prepare everything that was necessary for these people to enjoy this great feast, this great celebration. The father wanted to honor his son. And what the Bible says in John chapter 5 is this. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent them. Jesus is just teaching them, I am that Son. I am the reason you should celebrate. I am the reason that you should be rejoicing. I am the reason that heaven is created for you to worship me for eternity. Because why? God the Father will honor the Son. But I want to show you here that Israel rejected the privilege of honoring the son. Israel rejected the privilege of honoring the son. Look what it says in verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. And what we see here is Jesus is giving them some reasons why most people reject who he is. Did you notice there? 
in the verse part of that that some went to their farm. And in this day and age, we don't have quite farmers the same way they would have had farmers. It would have not been as much to mass produce other than to provide. And so they were too busy meeting the needs of the flesh to embrace the invitation of God. And let's be honest tonight. Most people would say that I'm too busy for God. I've got to work too much for God. I've got things I need to accomplish for, God, for myself. And those things are more important than an invitation to God. The second thing we see here that they use is another to his own business. And so we go from providing for needs to providing for more. Right? Jesus taught, right, that the rich man had to build bigger barns. And as he built those bigger barns to store his increase, that that very night his soul would be required of him. And so not only were pursuing the things of this world, they were pursuing the wealth of this world. That's why the Bible says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. How many times do we hear that from people that, well, I've just, I've got to make so much money and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. What he's saying is the things of this world will become more important to you and have become more important to the nation of Israel than to realizing who God was. And especially this group of people that he was talking to, the religious leaders, they were too busy bringing up accolades for themselves. They were too busy ripping people off in the temple. They were too busy having all the right clothing, all the right things. And so what he's saying is these people had grown very much too busy for the things of God. And if you look around in your world today, we are what? Too busy. We're too busy to worship God on Sundays. We're too busy to have family devotions. We're too busy to be at prayer meeting. We're too busy to soul win. We're too busy to go care for someone in the hospital. We're too busy to stop and check on someone who is sick and homebound. We're just too busy with the things of this world to be worried about the things of God. And as a saved person, that is heartbreaking because I know better. I know what God has done for me. I know how He's changed me. I know what He's forgiven me from. I know the difference He's made in my life. And so because I've experienced that love, it has changed who I am. But what He's especially talking to is those people who do not know Him. And friends, hell is going to be full of people who are going to deal with it later. I've heard that from people over and over again. As I have tried to witness, I'll do it later. I've got other things that I need to worry about now. I've had numerous people tell me, Jake, when I get done living the, the youthful, rambunctious life that I live, I will give my life to the Lord when I'm old, and it's okay to be boring and dull. Well, I don't know if you know this or not, that's not what Christians should be known as, as boring and dull. But anyway, that's the mindset. But yet you and I know the Bible says that tomorrow is not promised. And so Jesus is just reminding them that these people are making excuses. They're making all of these things up that are more important. But it doesn't stop there. You see, some people will be too busy for God. Some people will be apathetic toward God. But some people will hate the messengers of God. Don't miss this in verse 6. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. And when the king heard about it, he was furious. You see, Jesus is referring once again to the Old Testament. The entire Old Testament is about God redeeming Israel and reaching them and reaching out to them and sending prophet and sending messengers and sending over and over again and them rejecting him. And friends, that attitude has not changed. The same 
evil influencer of men, Satan, is at work today just like he was then. The same temptations, the same flesh, the same struggles that they had, we will have. And so this morning we need to recognize something that we should not be surprised by opposition. We do not be surprised that we are now living in a day and age that a hatred for Christianity is no longer something you hear about, but it is something you will witness. The hatred for Christians on television, the hatred for Christians that you work with, it is something that is rapidly growing. And it is because some people are too busy for God. Some people have got other priorities from God. But there are some people who hate the things of God. Now, there are a couple reasons why people hate the things of God. Some would say that people know better, and so it bothers them. Other people would say it is just a downward spiral on the hardening of one's heart. Hardening one heart, like the book of Romans says, that these things that you never would have imagined being acceptable are now being called good. If you can imagine a day and age where the things that you were seeing today would have been acceptable and applauded. I read an article this afternoon as I was reading on our culture that in preschool, they are teaching, a preschool is teaching children the color of white. And as they were teaching the children the color of white, it was a picture of two men, one of them pregnant. And that is how they taught the children at preschool the color white and that a man could be pregnant. I didn't say in high school. I didn't say in college. I said in preschool. Three and four-year-old students being taught that a man can carry a baby. Friends, it's not just stupid, which it is. It's not just ignorant, which it is. It is something from Satan to defy the order of God, that God created the male and female, and He blessed us, and He gave women the privilege, but also the pain of childbirth. And so this morning, you need to be prepared that there will be those who hate the things of God. But look what it says here. God is not asleep. And God is not unaware of what happens. And it says, but when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their cities. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are a whole lot of Bible scholars who have a whole lot of differences of opinions. And I am not a very smart man. But there are two thoughts to this. One, if you are aware, in AD 70, the Roman army destroyed the city of Jerusalem, burned it to the ground, and literally left no stone unturned. Took the Jews into captivity, and until the 1900s, Israel did not exist in the form of a nation. And so some people believe that Jesus is talking about that judgment. You've rejected the prophets. You've rejected the word of God. You've rejected Jesus and judgment is coming. I think that is a very good interpretation. But friends, I want you to hear this this morning. You need to notice that God gave them chance after chance after chance after chance. That he was long-suffering, that he was merciful, that he was gracious. But at some point, whether it is an earthly consequence or an eternal consequence, God says enough is enough. And Christian, tonight I hope that you will hear this because while your salvation is secure and there is nothing that can separate you from 
from the love of God, God will correct those whom He loves. You might be able to get away with a lie for a season. You might get away with unforgiveness for a season. You might get away with lust for a season. But if you are really God's, and you really belong to Him, and the Holy Spirit lives within you, there is going to come a day when God says, enough is enough. And you can disagree with that, but you're wrong. And so tonight I want to challenge you, whatever sin is in your life, whatever has creeped into your heart, know that God might be gracious for a season. God might send warning after warning after warning, but at some time and at some point, God brings correction. And for the lost man and woman, boy or girl, at some point God says, enough is enough. And we'll look at that in a moment. And so the third thing I want to show you tonight is, not only will the Father honor the Son, and not only did Israel reject the privilege of honoring the Son, the Father will bring honor to the Son regardless of rejection. The Father will bring honor to the Son regardless of rejection. You see, sometimes people think that just because they can mock God, just because they can mock the things of God, and just because people think they can blasphemy God and get away with it here, that God has somehow given up His right to be honored. But friends, never forget when the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is exactly what it means. It will not mean, well, all those people who lived in America or all those people who lived in China or all those people who lived in Russia. When it says every knee, it means every knee. There is no one that will avoid the judgment of God. There is no one that will avoid the accountability of God. And the only way that our judgment is covered is because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the judgment and punishment that he took has been attributed to me. And so when people say, Jake, I really do believe I can live good enough to heaven. Or I think I've done enough good things to get to heaven. Or Jake, I really don't think that people go to hell because all people are good. Friends, you are making a mistake. Because sin must be punished. Sin must separate us from God unless someone has paid the penalty of our sin. And so what is the father to do in honoring his son when the guest would not come? It goes on and says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now this is very important in this passage of Scripture. Because in Israel, if you ever have looked at the map, Israel is about the same size as Dallas and Fort Worth in Texas. That metro area is not much smaller than the nation of Israel. But yet, in the nation of Israel, you have traffic coming from Europe, you have traffic coming from Africa, you have traffic coming from Asia, and it all intersects right in this area. And so there were main highways that people coming from the east and the west and the south would travel. But the Jewish people would have had small side roads. I want you to think of it like the interstate and the blacktop north of Dahlgren. They're two different traveling methods, right? When I go north of Dahlgren, there's not much traffic. Not enough traffic that I roll through the stop sign, okay? And I'm usually not worried that there's going to be a police officer there. But there's not a lot of traffic and there's not a lot of people. But yet when I'm on the interstate, it's a whole different thing. 
I don't see a lot of cars from California and Ohio and Texas and Maine on the little mile north of Dahlgren where I live. But on the interstate, there's people from everywhere. And what Jesus says is, I want you to go to the roads where everybody from somewhere else are at. He is telling them, I'm going from the little villages and little cities and the little roads that I am traveling and I am sending my servants, the messengers, the preachers of the gospel, the ministers of the gospel to the place where all the people are coming. That way when they hear the gospel, they will be people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe. There will be people from all backgrounds outside of the Jewish people at this wedding. It's the great picture of how God is beginning to reach people like you and me. People who were not Jews, but Gentiles. We see this same thing said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, he is telling them that the gospel is not going to stay in one little country with one little ethnicity. It is going to all people and to all tribes. And what Jesus is saying is, even though you have rejected me, even though you have refused this invitation, I am going to save sinners. I am going to reach the lost. I am going to reach the broken. But my favorite part of all this is who he goes and tells them to find. Therefore, go into the highways and as many as you find... Invite them to the wedding. He doesn't say just find the wealthy. He doesn't say just find the poor. He doesn't just say find the the Jew or the black or the white. He said for as many as you can find, invite to the wedding. That's why I believe the gospel is to go to all people and to all tribes and to all nations. Because why? Whoever we can find should hear about the wedding that is the wedding of all time, and that is with Jesus and His church. The wedding that celebrates the fact that you and I are saved and forgiven and brought into the family of God. That all tribes and all tongues and all people should hear that Jesus Christ loved them so much that He died upon a cross, that He was buried, that He rose again, and that He will save them from their sins. He says, invite everybody you find to come and to celebrate the Son. What he's done. And I think this is very important tonight. Because it should remove every bit of racism. It should remove every bit of prejudice. It should should remove every bit of judgment that we have. Toward people who are not like us. Now I disagree that we ought to be teaching our children. That everything is white people's fault in America. But let's be honestly clear, racism has been a problem in churches for years. And neither of those is acceptable in the eyes of God. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. He says you invite all to the wedding. And so that means that God invites all into this wedding to be celebrated. And so what do the servants do? The servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now you say, what does that bad and good mean? Because there are none good, the Bible says. He's not talking about God's perspective. He is talking about our perspective. Right? Some of you would look at the prostitute and the tax collector and say, ooh, they're bad. 
But, but that gentleman there, he is a business owner. He is a, he's a farmer. He is, he is an established person, a respectable member in society. We'll bring him. But we're not going to bring this lady that's a prostitute. We're not, we're not bringing her. He says, no, you find the good and the bad. You find the ones that society has given up on and the one that society celebrates. You go reach the one who no one else wants to reach and you go reach the one that everybody is trying to reach. He's bringing everyone into this group. And so when you start to argue from whatever perspective you're at, well, God doesn't want uh, black people in the kingdom of heaven or God doesn't want white people in the kingdom of heaven or God doesn't want rich people in the kingdom of heaven or God doesn't want poor people in the kingdom of heaven. He literally destroys every argument with this verse. And says, you find them regardless of what the world says about them. And that might not mean much to you because I know you. You were all saved when you were little kids. You were all perfect Christian witnesses through school. You were all perfect Christian parents since the day that your children were born. You are literally God's gift to whatever community you live in. I, I know that's all of you. But to some of us, we're very thankful that God said... You can come no matter where you've been. You can come no matter what your mistake. You can come no matter what brokenness you have. Because I'll never forget when I came back to church about 16 years ago. And I'll never forget the thing that I was most afraid of when I walked into the church was not that the Lord was going to deal with me because he had been dealing with me for months it was, I wonder who I'm going to see. And I wonder what they're going to hate me for. Because there was a list of pretty valid concerns. And friends, I tell you what, there are many people who are terrified to walk in the doors of a church because they know who they've hurt. There are many people who tonight are terrified of getting right with God because they're terrified of what God's going to ask them to do. Who He's going to make them apologize to. Who he's going to make them reconcile with. And so tonight we cannot control who God reaches. We cannot control how God works. But what we can do is invite people to the greatest wedding ceremony celebration of all time. And I pray that's a church that we will be. Regardless of who they are, where they've been. That when God begins to work in their heart and work in their life. That this is a place where they'll be welcomed, where they'll be loved, where they'll be taught. Because the fourth and final thing, and I, I got four points, I'm sorry for you who use our note forms. There is only one way to honor the Son and please the Father. It starts in verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how do you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, I need to stop there because if you're like me and you're thinking, well, he wouldn't got these people off the side of the road. It's not like they were dressed for a wedding when the one woman was selling herself. It's not like the tax collector was dressed for a wedding when he was out there cheating people on the street. It's not like the hog farmer was there in his wedding garment as he was slopping food out to the pigs. What kind of ridiculous request is this? Well, friends, you've missed an important part of the Jewish culture. What would have happened is everyone who would have came with an invite would have been given clothing to wear. It would have been given something to wear that would have been fitting for the day and age. It's kind of like going to the prom. You don't get to wear normal clothes usually. You got to go get fitted for a 
suit and tucks and fancy shoes and all of those things. And so the guest, the wedding host would have given them clothing. And so everyone that would have came through the front door, everyone that would have been invited would have received something to wear that would have honored the son and honored the host. And so as he's going around this reception where everybody should have all the food they need, all the drink they need, all that needs to be provided for them, the clothing, that way that if you know anything about this day and age, uh, Paul addressed it in the early church that people who had money were dressing like it and wearing fine jewelry and gold. And then you had other people that weren't. This put everyone on equal footing at a wedding reception. Right? Literally, that's, I know no one likes this or not, but I'm old-fashioned. I love to see a choir in choir robes. You're thinking, oh no, I hope that don't happen here. I'm sure it won't. But this is why. One, it helps with the modesty issue, all right? And two, doesn't matter if you wear a suit or tie. Doesn't matter if you want to wear shorts and a tank top. You all look the same. You are all equal as you were praising God. And that's the mindset of the wedding garment. Your job to, when you go to a wedding reception is not to take the focus off the groom or the bride. And so everyone would have been dressed appropriately, would have been dressed nicely, and would have been dressed respectfully. And as this wedding reception is going on, the king comes and says, why are you dressed differently? You didn't come through the front door. You didn't accept what I was giving you. And the man was speechless. And what does this mean in Jesus' parable? It means this. There's only one way to be accepted into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's through being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. By His righteousness being given to us and our unrighteousness being taken on and punished by Him. What he is saying is, friends, you're invited to this reception. You're invited to this celebration. You're invited to come because everybody was invited, but there's only one way to come. And that's through the front door and to be covered by what you are supposed to be covered with. And friends, it is a clear picture that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through the Son, that He is the only door. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. You and I are unrighteous. We are filthy. We are dirty. We are wicked. And the only way we can be in the presence of God, we can be in the celebration with God, is to be what He is. And that is righteous. And it is not possible on our own. And so the man in this story, the, the father is saying, you don't have what it takes to be here. But I want you not to miss this. Everything that the man needed to be there was offered to him. The invitation, the clothing, the way in. And that's the way it is with Jesus. Jesus did all the work for you and I to be accepted. He's the one that lived a perfect life. He's the one that died a substitutionary death. He's the one that was buried and crucified and died for our sins. He is the one that rose from the dead. He did everything necessary. For you to come to the celebration. To come and celebrate him. Forever and ever and ever. But it is only him. It's only him. And so it goes on in this passage of scripture. And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants. Bind him hand and foot. 
and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there are two thoughts here. One is that he's talking about hell, a place of eternal damnation where there is no, um, no escape. There is no way out, that it is a place of eternal damnation. Some people believe that this in Jewish culture was a, just a sign for being outside of the party, outside of the celebration. And so whichever he's talking about here, the key is this, you will not be with him forever. You will not be with him in paradise. You will not be celebrating. You will not be enjoying it. Because why? You did not come through Jesus. Revelations, the seventh chapter, verse nine, says it like this. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes, with, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, what he's saying here is that all tribes, all tongues, all nations, worshiping around the throne. It's this beautiful picture of what God is doing. And then to make an absolute mess of this chapter, the Lord adds one more sentence in verse 14. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And for 2,000 years, the church has fought about what that verse means. Some people believe that it is this, that God only calls certain people. And of that certain people, he chooses those to go to heaven. Other people believe that God calls everybody, but yet he only has chose some. And what I could tell from studying over 40 sermons and almost 100 commentators is nobody knows for sure. But what I can tell you is what the words mean that are there. And I can let you make up your own decision as well. Many is a great number. There are a great number of people who are called and invited to be saved. Whether that is involving every nation, whether that is involving every person, we do not know. The word for call means summoned or invited by God. That means that many are being invited. The few means that it is going to be a small number. Just like when Jesus said, narrow is the gate and few who find their way. Chosen can mean one of four things. It can mean picked out by God. It can mean that those are people who chose to follow the Lord because God's chose by freely receiving faith. It can mean that those are the people who really are born again. And to quote John Calvin, because the one person that would disagree with me the most said it like this. What he's talking about are real believers here, not people who have made external professions of faith. You see, you can see it sit in a wedding celebration just like you can sit in a church, but that doesn't mean you were saved. You can tell everybody that you were born again, but that doesn't mean you are and as he quoted 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Tonight, if you are here and you are claiming to be a part of the celebration and the wedding feast, the challenge is this. Is it really evident by your life? Are you really covered by the blood? Jesus said literally that all who tell me, Lord, Lord, 
And I will say to them what? Depart from me, I never knew you. But yet you say the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so how do we reconcile these difficult truths in the word of God? I have one simple answer for you. I do not know. But what I can tell you is this. God just spent 13 verses telling us to invite all. To make sure that there is no one excluded from our invitation to the gospel. And the good news of what can happen in their life. And so tonight if you're here and you don't believe in telling people about Jesus. Look up here. It's sin. It is sin to know the truth of God's word and to hide it. As the old song said, hide it under a bush. Oh no, I'm going to let it shine. And so tonight there is one way to be accepted and that's through Jesus Christ. There are one group of people who are targeted with telling the world about Jesus. And that is us. And so tonight I pray that this church would take serious that mandate from heaven. God wants to reach people. That God wants to change lives. And we are the people that he has sent out to do it. Did you ever ask yourself, God, why didn't you just take your finger and write it in the sky? I'm real, believe. Or some other miraculous way. But he shows you and I through the lives that we live and the testimony that we have to be the vessels that take the gospel to the whole world. So tonight, would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray tonight that you would work and move in the hearts of people. Father, we know that it is only your conviction, only your working that can bring us to a point of repentance. So Father, tonight I pray that you would help this church to repent and to seek your face. Father, tonight I pray that you would help us to be people that love people regardless of who they are, what they're like, or what their past is. God, I pray that you would use this as a church that shares the gospel. And Father, that we watch hundreds, if not thousands of people come to know you as their personal Savior. Father, I pray tonight that you give us a burden for souls. God, I pray that tonight that you would help us to each and every one evaluate our lives and make sure that we truly are born again. That we're not hiding in the wedding feast, God. But that we truly do belong to you. And so, Father, thank you for the privilege to preach your word. God, I pray that if I've said or done anything that was contrary to your will or your word, that you would forgive me. And tonight, God, I give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.